Welcome back to The Inner Circle, the podcast bringing you into honest conversations about climate action. My name's Erin Andrews. I'm the founder and executive director of Impact Zero. Together, we'll uncover what's working, what's not, and how we can change the system to value people and the planet. Together, we're making the impossible possible. This week, I just want to let you know that there is an opportunity for you to join our Impact Zero community by signing up at impactzero.ca. You can stay up to date on news, meet other community members, get invited to events, and keep tabs on our startups going through the accelerator by joining our online community, again, at impactzero.ca. For team shout out this week, I would like to share more about Paul Renard. So Paul is our fundraising director at Impact Zero. He has donated so much of his time to this organization and he's helped me really like build my fundraising game from basically zero so paul has a ton of experience he's raised funds and done massive projects raising money from both public and private entities so i'm very grateful to have paul on the team he's really helped us uh, mature our fundraising strategy and helped me personally a lot figure out how to bring money into an organization So Paul's doing great work. Thanks so much, Paul. Lastly, on the note of fundraising, I'm going to be sharing again about our innovation center that we are working towards. So if you or someone that you know is looking to support local sustainability initiatives that really deliver on their promises, then I would love to get in touch with you. So we are currently trying to work towards standing up this downtown innovation center As I mentioned previously, it's really this space where people can, you know, go in and really experience and immerse themselves in the circular economy because there's a lot of theory going around and there's a lot of like, you know, vague climate action that people talk about, but I want people to be able to enter this space and see tangible examples of the circular economy. So that's including having like a micro recycling facility where we can teach people about plastics recycling and the potential that there is in plastics recycling. Um, you know, if we cleaned up our single stream systems act, but as well, I want to have like a repair section. I want to have a co-working space and innovation space, And this space is going to be as well hybrid so we can continue to post all of our events and stream things online for international and across and national community. But for those people who are in Toronto and in the region, they'll be able to come hang out in person and experience that. And it's going to be as free and open access as a library. So I think that's very important as well. The other really big part of this innovation center will be that there will be a material drop-off section. So outside, I'm going to get a shipping container dropped in the alleyway, and that will essentially act like our own little kind of like space that we can control the opening and closing hours for where we'll host a bunch of drop-ins. So there'll be a case drop-in, there'll be a clotho drop-in and all the other startups that we work with, possibly even circular and then any other like circular materials drop-off. So it's kind of like a waste management place. Like, you know, you can drop things off at recycling hubs, but this would be like a circular materials hub. So it'll be very, very cool. And I'm very excited about it. So if you would like to partner with us on that in any way, either by becoming a sponsor or being a strategic partner on that project, then definitely do not hesitate to reach out to me. My email hasn't changed. It's erin at impactzero.ca.
So this week, we have a really great conversation with Chris. So he joined Contech in 2016 as one of the first process engineers in the company. So he took an active part in R&D through the development, construction, and startup of the paralysis plant, and he has built the team to operate that plant. So he's a Warsaw University of Technology graduate. Chris has always had a passion for chemistry and completed a PhD in chemical and process engineering, where he conceived his paralysis technology that uses molten salts as a form of heat transfer instead of the traditional flame process, which is very inaccurate, which we'll get into in the episode. But Chris was and still is interested in solving problems linked to the industrial waste processes impacting the environment, CO2 emissions, and climate change. It's naturally led to exploring clean technology and how it can be used to transform waste streams into sustainable products. So from selecting technological apparatus to designing equipment, conducting process simulations, automation, and driving consistent improvements, Chris heavily influenced the technological evolution of Context Paralysis Project, which is really the foundation of the company. So still in his 20s, Christoph was promoted to CEO after only two years in the company. For the past three years, he's led Contech into deeper technology developments, as well as improved the organizational side. And now he's currently leading the new fundraising round, which he'll get into a little bit here. They're raising series A, which will see the construction of a new paralysis plant in 2024 and expansions to the existing one. So without further ado, let's jump into the conversation with Chris. This season of the Inner Circle is sponsored by Reverse Logistics Group or RLG. Live in 80-plus countries with over 30 years of experience, RLG is a tech-enabled organization that offers tailored recycling and circular economy solutions to meet your needs. RLG puts together convenient solutions that will reduce your environmental impact. RLG gets it. Businesses like yours don't always have the time or the resources to spend thinking about environmental compliance and the health of our planet. RLG is a one-stop solution for compliance, returns, and recycling programs across all Canadian provinces and product categories, including batteries, electronics, and packaging. For example, in Ontario, RLG is collaborating with Circular Materials to help brand owners manage their collection and recycling requirements under the new Blue Box regulation. If you're interested in learning more, contact them at Canada at rev-log.com or visit them at www.rev-log.com. That's www.rev-log.com. Do you mind just sharing your name and a little bit about yourself, how you got to the current position that you're in right now? My name is Krzysztof Wróblewski, but uh, for your ease, uh, you can call me Chris. And my history is pretty not straightforward. And I'm in the tire recycling business, mainly in the part of this, which is paralysis. And I started as a chemical engineer uh, in the R&D of this project. And I've seen its development from very early stage, from milligrams. And it all happened basically when I decided to do some research for my professor, my mentor, for free just for free, you know, uh, they, they needed some workforce for the research and development because they couldn't meet the deadlines. And they just asked the young students to get some help. And I said, why not? I have some 
sometimes and it all started with you know uh, giving something for free and i think this might be inspiring for all the young people because it escalated pretty quickly uh, right now i'm leading the company which uh, i hope will change something in in work and in the tire recycling but also in plastic in the future that's awesome and it's interesting i didn't actually know that you started working for them for free So I often get the question of how people can get into whatever ESG, banking, whatever experience people want to get into. And I always tell people to just be open to helping somebody out because you never know what that can turn into. You know, when they saw that I'm doing a lot of work there and uh, when you're a student and you're full of passion and energy for chemical engineering, for process engineering, and you have some spare time, it happened that I do more research and development than the average, uh, let's say, PhD guy or even professors. Of course, the knowledge was much better than mine but I could spend the hours and I spend them so you know I, I was working like half a year for free and they saw that it's really coming to, to something and I, I done some research for my master's and all that stuff and they they said okay Chris uh, you've done the research for us uh, why don't we repay you for that and this basically happened in this parosis project that they started to pay me and uh, this is how I earned for my second car <laughs> I bought my first from my sister, so it was quite cheap. Uh, but uh, yeah, my second car, uh, and uh, it was my my dream to have it. And uh, yeah, it it just happened from research and development. Then uh, when I I've uh, you know been into uh, this paid research, and I was member of the scientific group there in this project, somebody heard about me, mm, and uh, basically it was joint venture mutual project between the Warsaw University of Technology in Poland and the private company Contec, which was, uh, they had different tasks in this project, the Parosis project. Contec was meant to build the plant and operate it, and Warsaw University of Technology was meant to do the research, say what we should do with the technology, how to develop it. And the current CEO of Contec, it was in 2016, I believe, yeah, six years ago, heard one of the process engineers talking with me because we were colleagues from the university. He heard that we were talking with each other about the paralysis and he asked him why somebody knew so much about the paralysis. How, how does it happen? And he said, I want to see him. He organized the meeting and I met him with all the CV prepared, you know, my first interview for a job he didn't even see my cv he just said okay you look like you know what you're doing and i like the feeling uh, of, of you and and let's do something together and yeah it all started with that so my first message for today is if you like something try to do it even if nobody wants to pay it for you for this job if you have passion for that and if you really want to progress in that somebody will see the outcome and uh, how much difference that you Uh, make and then it turns into into dollars and then in in 2018 and i was 26 it happened that i became the ceo of context and it was really rough times for us because the technology wasn't really working that well mm. and you know the venture capital private equity fund that owns contact right now they had pretty uh, hard decisions to make but they decided to hold on and i'm really really grateful for that and they believed in the technology and they believed in us so they gave us a chance uh, me and then my colleague and partner dominic uh, here we, we're two of us make support right now and 
And yeah, in in couple of years, we transformed something that wasn't really working. It it was promising, but it wasn't really working into something really strong and validated. We stabilized the technology, and right now we process thousands of tons of tires, and we are happy with that. That's a great segue. So I want to get into the technology because obviously, it, like, there's so much that goes in to developing this. What was the original end goal? of the R&D that you were working on before? You know what? The first goal post was to develop technology that delivers because we've seen uh, a lot of technologies on the market that had drawbacks. Mm -hmm. And uh, there were engineering and conceptual mistakes that couldn't lead to good quality of the products or the safety or the, you know, operational excellence. And we chose Molten Salt as a unique solution for the heat transfer. I think we'll go deeper into that later. And we are the first and only in the world that uh, uses Molten Salt as a heat transfer medium. And it brings some new quality in the process of end-of-life tires or whatever you might imagine. And this came from the solution that basically there was a question, what if we managed to happen to control all the heat which is needed for the process to the degree Degrees, singular degrees, I mean one, one degree, two degrees, not 50, not 100 degrees, how you can control it with the exhaust gases or flue gases when you hit, uh, or the burners, if you hit it, the reactor with the direct flame, there's not such a possibility to control the thermal input there. With molten salt, we can control everything, and this is really, really great. Okay. Since we're on this, I'm curious, could you explain the difference between what was available and the molten salt situation? Like how, what does it like actually look like for people? Okay. So maybe let's get one step back. Uh, actually what we are doing, because I think it's important. So we process the end of life tires and end of life tires are a really great resource, but they are composite of different materials inside and they're really difficult to recycle. Mm -hmm. And what we do, we shred them, we separate the steel and steel is being sold, sold as a commodity, as a scrap metal. And this is first stage and first product, which is which can be used in the tire to tire concept. This steel can be, you know, turned into new steel cord and then using the tires but what happens with the rubber if you have round tires we call it chips but somebody says it's this rubber granulate we put it in the into the reactors there are very special design of the reactors when we do the magic and this magic is called pyrolysis which is process of thermal decomposition and we hit the rubber up to 500, 515, 530 degrees without any oxygen inside, so it cannot burn. And it decomposes into two major products. One is the, the oil, and this uh, I will talk about it later. And the second, uh, more difficult and more challenging one, is recovered carbon black. In tires, tires are black because there is carbon black inside. Uh, plastics, most, most of plastics are black because there is car carbon black inside. And this carbon black can be recovered. And, and we try to do it as good as we can to make possible concept of putting them uh, this recovered carbon black into new rubber, into new tires eventually, but in, into new rubber, manufacture rubber goods, other plastics, 
cables, whatever you might think of. Mm. So this is what we do, basically. And with the oil, this oil is also pretty unique and you can use it as a chemical feedstock for certain businesses, but also it can be treated to the something we call sustainable fuel. And my personal dream would be, even though it's still burning, but uh, I think there's no better uh, idea for the aviation industry to introduce sustainable aviation fuel because I think it would be very difficult for the aviation industry to switch to hydrogen or to electric power. Mm -hmm. I think we could stick to kerosene, but let's make sure it's sustainable and maybe it's from some, you know, recycled content or biocontent or whatever. And with natural rubber we process, because part of tires are truck tires and they're made uh, of natural rubber mostly, we can see some biocontent in the oil. So that's really great. And of course, this is this oil is quite wide fraction, but nevertheless, it would be great to introduce some of this fraction in the large scale into the sustainable aviation fuels to make one of the most beautiful ways of transportation and the safest also sustainable one. Yeah, that's okay. So that's very helpful. And so for the carbon black versus oil proportion, mm-hmm. how much of the byproduct is the carbon black versus the oil? Like, what's the biggest byproduct you have to deal with? When we have, for example, one ton of Tires. We usually make out from that around 350 kilograms of recovered carbon black, around 400, 450 kilograms of oil, and the rest is still. And part of that is also non-condensable gas. And this non-condensable gas has several components inside, and it cannot be sold. It's varying with the composition and and. Uh, but, but its calorific value is quite high. So we use it internally as a heat source for our process. So we don't need any any other heat sources. And we call it that the process is autothermal. But our process with molten salt is so efficient that we go way beyond autothermal. We produce much more gas than what we need. Mm-hmm. So in the future, in a larger scale, and even now in our pilot plant in Stets in Poland, which is quite a big one, yeah, we will produce electricity out of this gas. So that's another step there. Yeah, that's that's a really perfect example of how circular businesses can like supply their own resources, basically. And I think that's a really cool thing to think about where it's like you just had to have that initial heat input to do the first separations. But now if you're completely supplying your own fuel, then there's probably significant cost savings to that as well, since you're using your own byproducts, right? Of course, on, we use only LPG, uh, liquid propane gas, uh, for the startup. And this is, you know, 20-something hours at the startup. And then when we put, you know, quite small amount of rubber inside our reactors, we, we you start to be out of thermal. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, process goes for weeks, 24-7, all day long, all night long. Uh, it's not a batch, it's continuous process. And we don't need LPG or or whatever. Mm-hmm. We need some electricity, especially for the shredding. And a lot of pyrolysis companies or even rubber recycling or tire recycling uh, companies shred the tires to very small dimension of the, the shred, the small granules, so below five millimeters or below quarter of inch however you like it mm-hmm. but it's quite energy consuming and we decided to to stay uh, in a size around one inch because it's uh, i think it's a sweet spot between the energy costs and sustainability of the, the shred that you further paralyze and the quality of the products of course and also uh, the, the energy input for that if we went uh, into smaller 
we we would put much more energy per per ton of products, and it wouldn't be so sustainable. Mm-hmm. Since it's electric, there's lots of opportunity to source clean energy for that, anyways. Yeah, Contact buys 100% uh, renewable electric energy, and I'm pretty proud of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. And so, so when you have the end product, I know that even like in the recycling industry here, a lot of people have a hard time finding buyers for post-consumer resin because obviously there's like slightly different ways that you have to manipulate it, but then also just people are not procuring post-consumer resin necessarily because they might not think about it or they have established relationships with larger producers So I'm curious about how that process was like for you. Because once you have the product developed, that's like hurdle number one. (laughs) And hurdle number two is in finding the buyers for that end material. So for the carbon black materials, what was the process in actually finding those end buyers for that material? Because obviously like they need to scale with you as well. Like there, there are so many business considerations on top of like the technical stuff. So what was that process like? At first it was a nightmare. To be honest, yeah. when I started working contact and I called a couple of flyers that I knew they use virgin carbon blacks, virgin, I mean, from fossil fuels. And I told them that we might have in a year or two, a couple of thousand tons per year of recovered carbon black. How do they feel about it? It's a slam, the phone and nobody answered. It was because the quality of the recovered carbon black a couple of years ago, it was really poor. To be honest, it was not something that could be used in rubber. The in-rubber performance was really rubbish. And also there was a lot of smell in the recovered carbon black. Right now here, I'm holding our own recovered carbon black, con black, which is completely without any scent. And it's very low on volatiles, low on PIH. So it's it's probably could be even used in food contact applications because of, you know, low toxicity. And the quality is something that opens the doors first and, and you have to get it. But the quality not only comes from the process, because of course the process can have to be controlled and our molten salt technology and the auger type reactors can you know bring us to the control but at the end of process you get the char char is not recovered carbon black to get a proper recovered carbon black you have to process it and during last few years there was a huge development in technologies of processing this carbon black because normal technologies which were designed for you know very old uh, industry of virgin carbon black they were not working really great for recovered carbon black recovered carbon black can be abrasive recovered carbon black is something different than virgin carbon black it behaves in rubber similarly to a couple of grades of virgin carbon black, but it's something different to process. And what I mean by this development is, for example, meal. And there are a couple of companies that you know decided to develop some proper meals for recovered carbon black, and they did it. And we went into di- that direction to buy the golden standard, the best in class jet meal for carbon black. And then after milling, you have to pelletize it once again. And there also were problems at first but now there are a couple of companies that you go to them and they know that they will produce really nice granule or pallets of recovered carbon black because they put some R&D into that and our core is porosis so we don't want to you know think about the milling we don't want to think about the politization or the drying you can buy it right now 10 years ago not really if you even if you bought the meal for carbon black it wouldn't work for recovered carbon black well and that development of the inter-industry 
process industry, post-processing industry, and, and you know, some more industries in, in between. Uh, it led to development of the really recovered carbon black market, which is still very small right now, but I think it will grow very quickly. Yeah, I think that's a trend that I'm seeing in other industries as well, because usually the recovered or the recycled version of any material, people are always a little bit wary because of the reputation that it might have had previously, even if the current product has actually been developed in a way that it is more consistent with the virgin version, or they can better process it with better machines and things like that. Because I also consult in addition to do Impact Zero stuff. And one of my clients right now, that's their whole thing. Their business would not exist if their end product was not like the highest quality, even compared to virgin materials. Because like, even though it's made from waste, like people will continue to go to them, not necessarily because it's sustainable. They'll go to them because it's really, really high quality. Obviously, as people evolve and as sustainable procurement becomes more popular, I think the sustainability argument will make it easier for them as well. But I'm curious for you, like when you're talking to customers, do people kind of like care about the sustainability side of it? Or is it because of all of the other reasons why people would buy? You know what? I think this is a couple of things to be <laughs> said, but I, I'll try to limit it to uh, the two which uh, think that are most important ones. And the first one is that the mentality has changed. And uh, three years ago, nobody asked about the CO2 footprint or what's the actual LC of the carbon black right now everybody asks and nobody asked for the is uh, cc plus certification and right now everybody asks and i think it's a really good trend and this is good trend and partly because of big companies and i think they they have really big influence on the market let's say one big company says that in you know next two or three years they will buy large amount they want to buy a large amount of recovered oil or recovered carbon black or whatever and this brings certain consequences and makes my life easier for example because if they publicly state that they will they want to buy it uh, major tire producers or major chemical players they want to buy it we can tell our investors that okay don't worry about the sales because they want it we just need to keep about the quality but the, but it's there and they want it so you know, several risk about the scaling up and all that stuff, it gets easier. Mm -hmm. And the second thing, which is, I think, very important here, is our own choices as, you know, normal people, normal customers, because we create this market. We vote with our own money what we buy. And if we, uh, you know, run the business or our ordinary consumers, we vote with our own money. And it really matters if you choose, you know, uh, shampoo or shower gel in the recycle package, or if you decide to have a, you know, soft drink in the iPad, and you don't care that it's not, maybe it's not clear as a virgin PET, I mean, the bottle, it's not not as translucent. It doesn't matter really, because, you know, you will drink it in, a, in half an hour and you forget about it but please consider choosing because your vote is uh, with your own money is is something that gets uh, these businesses done because you create a market and if there's a demand the prices are higher if the, the, the prices are higher it's easier for investors for such startup or scale-ups we, we i wouldn't say we're a startup we're more like a scale-up right now we have like around 50 employees 
and, and quite a big plant in Szczecin. So it's not a startup. And uh, what, what I meant is that uh, they create the market. And, and uh, if the, the demand is there, the prices are higher, it's easier to accept certain risk of developing hardware solutions, which are really, you know, capital intensive for the development. Mm -hmm. Contact was also capital intensive in the development. But with all this uh, prices and the, you know, financial, macroeconomical things that are taken care of with your vote, uh, it's getting easier and the development is quicker. And if there's demand, we will buy plots and set up new plants all over the world. And it all happens when you choose, you know, which tire you put on your car. So I think it's important. To get to the next level, like you have, obviously, okay, having a plant, by the way, you're much, you're far past startup mode, in my opinion, at least, because we work with really small companies. So it's awesome that you have that. That's a huge asset, obviously, to be able to process that stuff. But in order to get to the next level of scale, because I imagine volume is an issue when you're trying to get bigger clients, they need bigger volume. So you're always trying to gauge like, what's your production capacity versus, you know, signing on the right clients and meeting them where they're at. So when you're doing this next level of funding, like what's your next goal and what's in the way of reaching that goal right now? Right now, we're securing funding for the expansion of the staging plant because all the infrastructure that is there, the shredding capacity is there, backend, I mean, recovered carbon black finishing line is there. What we need is two more lines of paralysis because we want to introduce all these experiences we've gained for the last couple of years into, you know, two additional lines. And we can call it, you know, A-series funding or something like this. But to be honest, it's it's just for immediate scale-up because the demand is there for our product. Mm -hmm. And of course, it's it's not very easy. Even if you have uh, validated technology and there are a couple of meetings that you have to you know, get through a couple of hundreds, maybe. Nevertheless, yeah, we're, we're there and the interest is there. And I think there are a couple of paralysis companies and we see each other and we cheer up for each other because we all want to succeed in the same direction to make the tire-to-tire -tire concept possible. And you now it's pretty small business but uh, from the day one it, it has to be global mm -hmm. because from the day one you have to cope with big companies i mean global companies global chemical players global tire manufacturers global virgin carbon black producers and this you know makes your journey very interesting but you have to be able to change your optics one day you you work on your team with your team on the technology and the second day you manage, you know, the global contracts and, and from quarter to quarter, from half a year to half a year, your your optics change. And, you know, a couple of years ago, we were fighting to stabilize the technology. Right now, we're, you know, we, we see the technology have the facts to protect itself. And it makes my life easier when, you know, getting to the investors for, for funding. Mm. So, yeah, it, it's really a really fine journey and it all started with you know giving some R&D research and development activities for free just from passion to the chemistry process engineering and all that stuff yeah it's such a huge evolution and to lead a company through that level of growth is there's so much more to it I think than people may realize um because there's the operations the financials the the sales like you you basically need all of those skills to be able to successfully bring an organization from 
this like small little like team that's developing something that's really important to getting it in the minds of people at major corporations. And I'm curious too to know, like, since the the industry that you're in is it's like all or nothing, as you say, it's like big companies, there aren't really many small producers of cars or or any like car parts. I feel like it's very centralized. I don't know if that's an accurate read of the industry. Um, but being a startup in that ecosystem, I'm curious if you have any like thoughts about other companies that are trying to introduce sustainable alternatives and then breaking into that market successfully. Um, yeah, I'm just curious if you have thoughts about that as like a concept. Yeah, it's, it's to be honest, quite difficult because you're a small company with, uh, at the beginning with a, quite a small budget. And everybody expects of you to bring the highest quality with all the standards and all that stuff. So it's a matter of perspective. And it's really great that, you know, big companies try to get a bit more understanding for us. And, you know, they try to help us. But also it brings our standards up. And this is really great because, for example, if there's one big chemical company and they say, okay, we will buy all the oil that you can produce, but get this ISCC plus certificate uh, done first. First, everybody in the industry now has the ISCC Plus certification, and this brings higher standards quicker. And this is, I think, this is way to go. And what is important to answer your question? What is important is openness for cooperation. Because if you feel that you will change the world yourself, you're forgetting that you're part of it. And if you don't make friends and you just don't work with a team, it wouldn't work because nobody can do it all by himself. And you also said that we need a couple of competences as uh, leaders here and it was a huge part of the initial uh, our work that we did lots of our things uh, ourselves but right now we can see the strength of the team we're building you know the back office we're building the structural composition for the company that will allow proper rollout of the technology and it's really inspiring to meet other people and tell them what they do and they said okay i want to do it with you and uh, you know they are hungry for the success and it's really nice feeling that you've done a part of that and you pass some of the responsibilities uh, you build the teams and they start doing much more than what you could do solo Mm -hmm. and developing these people it gets your energy out from that and it's easier to get up early in the in the morning if you know there's a team that will get up early in the morning and they if they need to they will stay or work on saturdays if we want to something you know brought in of course we want to care about the work-life balance and this is important that's why we i just tell you in from november uh we we acquired really nice hr director for contact and i'm really happy for her to join our team so we can take better care of our employees as well and you know it's building all these things that are necessary for the scale-up to happen for the road but to get to that point you have to validate something because some Somebody have to believe that your technology, your idea will work because, you know, workforce, uh, even in Poland, it's quite expensive. Mm-hmm. And uh, to be able to pay them, you really need uh, to show something because without your partners, without really somebody who will believe in you, uh, it's really, really difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Whether it's internal teams and even like strategic partners and like business partners and things like that, like we're all working towards this 
wild concept of like very much reducing the amount of waste on a global scale. And like, I personally don't think too much about, you know, how big the problem is. I like to focus on all these amazing solutions that are already maturing. But that said, being able to take one piece of the broader circular economy solution, I think is pretty powerful because then if you have partners that then can take the steel, you know, it's like you're not in the steel game necessarily. You're focusing on what you're really, really good at. And then you rely on partners to take what maybe is not the strong suit, whether that's us as like leaders independently and having teams that we can do that with. But then like, even if you take that out one more level, like having these strategic partnerships and business partnerships are so important, which is where I think it's very important for for companies to then identify their partners and not try to do it all. Because when you try to do it all, it becomes very inefficient, whether you're a leader or as a company, right? So if you can stay in what you're good at and like do that really, really well, and then rely on partners to to do the rest, I think that makes for such a better environment, like internally as well as externally. I completely agree with you because let's take, for example, product development and, you know, go to market strategy and sales. If you don't have any partner, you will just have so many trials and missed opportunities because if you're not in this market for, you know, years, you will never know what they really need. And there are a couple of, I don't know, traders, virgin carbon black producers, when they sell thousands, millions of tons of virgin carbon black and they speak day by day to the entire market manufacturers to the rubber manufacturers to the plastics industry and they exactly know what they need and it's so much easier when they're open for talks with you and they say okay let's move it into that direction or let's start with blending because your scale is for example so small that even if you go directly to for 100 percent replacement of virgin carbon black with your recovered carbon black it's really great yeah which which we, we clap our hands but your scale is so small let's blend it i don't know 15 30 50 percent with virgin and you will have the impact because it's easier also for the i think it's also happening in different industry but in our industry it's easier for rubber manufacturers to switch to for example 30 70 blend than switch from you know 100 percent pure virgin product to 100 percent pure recovered product in certain applications, we've, we've done that without any problems and customers are happy, we are happy, everybody's happy. But let's imagine tires. Tires are really responsible products. If something bad happened in the tire, safety of families is in case. And nobody wants to risk safety of people. I wouldn't. Uh, so if the way to go into that industry, and I tell you, in a year, we globally produce over 20 million tons of of tires and let's say that 30 percent of that is virgin carbon black or what whatever now and this creates enormous market and even if the penetration let's say 10 percent of recovered is is there it's still such a huge market that we will need you know a couple of hundreds of pyrosis plants for you know to cover that mm -hmm. so even in the pyrosis industry when there are companies with different technologies one is batch one is continues second one is something different of course all these products are different but you know we cannot say that there's a best there's a worst or there are different let's develop everybody will develop their technologies and the market will 
say. Mm -hmm. And there is a space for everyone. Like, like I said, even in Europe, there is demand for roughly right now, today, 2050, uh, really good quality process plants. But nobody delivers industrial volumes right now. And what I mean industrial volumes, volumes I mean at least 10,000 tons uh, per annum of recovered carbon black. Most of the plants are in the big pilot version. And similar is that's why we want to, you know, fundraise for the expansion of the shipping plant because we validated technology and we have really solid track record of production and let's scale it up. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I love that. And I'm just curious if there's anything else that you wanted to mention or anything else that you want to share with the audience? Of course, I invite everyone to find us on LinkedIn and find our you know, website and learn more about what we do with tires. But I think that my message should be your choice matters. And what you do with your own money in terms of, you know, daily choices, if you if you choose sustainable products, you make a market from them. And I'd really like that to stick with you guys. And it was my pleasure to be on this podcast. Amazing. Thank you so much, Chris. Bye bye. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode of The Inner Circle. If you'd like to learn more about the foundation, you can visit our website at impactzero.ca. You can also find us on Instagram at impactzero.ca and as well on LinkedIn, Impact Zero Foundation. Thanks again for hanging out with us today and we'll see you next week.